Good morning and welcome to Sunday Forum on WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canan. I'm the News and Public Affairs Director here at WMNF and I'm joined this morning by Mabili. Walter is out this week, but we are raising funds to support the Sunday Forum show. We have a pretty gigantic goal, but we can make it with your help. In the next two hours, we need to raise $1,500 to show that there's support out there for shows like Sunday Forum. So if you can make that contribution, please give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can also donate on the web at wmnf.org. Over the next couple of hours, we're going to hear some some great programming from the Pacifica Radio Archives. They have what's called a Black History Month USB thumb drive of all this great programming from uh, black musical artists, black comedians, black activists of the last 60 years or so that's been on Pacifica Radio. And you can get this USB drive for a $100 contribution to WMNF Radio. Mobili, uh, yeah, <clears throat> and and also I should say that one of our exciting new shows that is coming up tomorrow is Mobili's show, which is at noon. Tell us about Community Speaks. Yes, yeah, Community Speaks, and that is a actually a return of the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. This is a show that I was a part of, co-hosted years ago. And now that we have a new schedule, we've expanded one hour into the uh, public affairs time slot. Uh, expanding one hour of public affairs time during the weekdays. Community Speaks is going to be the kickoff on a Monday. And that just feels so good. It's nostalgic. It's an opportunity to bring some analysis and to hear from our listeners. This is an opportunity for the listeners to weigh in on what's happening. Not just be reactionary, but proactionary. And that's what I loved about Community Speaks years ago, and that's what I'm hoping to return to now in, in as we move forward into this future. Uh, listening to a lot of speeches, you'll probably hear a lot of speeches from this thumb drive. So it'll be a compliment to public affairs here on the weekend. And the number to call in to support programming like this is 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. You can also donate at wmnf.org or on the WMNF Community Radio app. And hey, when you talk to your phone bank volunteer, uh, let them know whether you're supporting Community Speaks or whether you're supporting uh, um, Sunday Forum. It's up to you, whatever show you'd like to donate to. But we're looking for donations to the WMNF to keep community radio on the air, to keep bringing you great programming like this with our wonderful volunteer hosts like Walter and Mabili. Please give us a call right now, 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. As I said, we have a $1,500 goal over the next two hours. So with your help, we can reach that goal. Well, we're going to kick off this show with part of a uh, one of the content, one of the things that's on this USB drive, thumb drive, from the Pacifica Radio Archives. This is Dick Gregory. It's one, he's one of the first black comedians to successfully joke about race to both white and to black audiences. So, while you're calling in, we're going to hear some Dick Gregory. If you're interested in getting this thumb drive, it has 33 hours of audio content. Wow. And you can get it for a $100 donation to WMNF by calling 813-239-9663. You can go to the web at WMNF.org. And we'd like to hear from you now. While Dick Gregory is on, we'll be back in just a moment to thank people for calling in and to ask for your support once again. So here's more Dick Gregory on WMNF. 
Dick Gregory's social and political consciousness was impacted by the events that sparked the early civil rights movement. The murder of 14-year-old Emmett Till in Mississippi and the Montgomery bus boycott in Alabama that catapulted Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to national attention. In the late 1950s, Mr. Gregory began regular visits to the South to participate in civil rights demonstrations. Gregory was arrested for civil disturbance during one such visit to Birmingham, Alabama. A few weeks later, on May 25, 1963, Dick Gregory sat down with Pacifica Radio KPFA producer Ralph Gleason in an extraordinary conversation, revealing the trials and tribulations of this popular entertainer traveling to the South to help his people in the thick of the civil rights movement. Uh, Dick, why did you go to Birmingham? Well, I guess it was the same reason I went to Greenwood, Mississippi. Okay, why'd you go to Mississippi at all in the first place? Well, as I read the account of actually what was going on in these areas in the South and think of the three kids that I have and knowing that the people that's breaking down the barriers down South, not only breaking them down for themselves, but breaking them down for myself, my wife, and my family, and I feel that it's part of my job to help them break it down, being that all of us will reap the benefits from this. Uh, I debated the night before I flew into Greenwood, Mississippi, simply because I had a a new son, and I hadn't been able to get back to Chicago to see the the boy. And uh, Mississippi won out because when I lay there and thought that if America had to go to war in the morning, I would be willing to go. And when I can go to any of the four corners of the world, take a chance on losing my life, being away from my loved ones, uh, to guarantee a foreigner a better way of life, I must be able to go and guarantee the, the Negro a better way of life. Was there any pressure upon you at all as a performer not to do this? No, no one. No one knew I was going but uh, a couple of close friends of mine. My managers found out after I got there, which they wouldn't have said anything anyway because uh, we have a relationship where they know they work for me. Yeah. And uh, my agent works for me and my managers work for me and Everyone on my staff, including my lawyers, on down works for me. So I make the decisions and the policies of Dick Gregory Enterprise. Do you see this move as a role for um, you as a as a performer, as an artist, or as you as a human being? No, me as a human being. I've said many times I'm an individualist first, an American second, and a Negro third. But I'm a Negro before I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. So when my decision to go into any area or to participate in any affair, uh, I do this as an individualist. But I try to stay away from where there's nothing but entertainment. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, these restrictions where you can't come into the area uh, 60 days before and after, I, I never honor these at all. But inevitably, your, um, your public personality as a performer gets involved in this, doesn't it? Not with me. Not with you? No, none whatsoever. Does it get involved with uh, with the people that you work for at clubs or with the audiences? Uh, no, I have I have never found it. Maybe mainly because I don't look for it. Mm-hmm. But I have never found it to be so. When you got to uh, Mississippi, uh, were they aware of you as a performer? Uh, were you just another individual? No, what happened was with Mississippi, uh, the move that was made that uh, meant so much in Mississippi. I could have gone in any area of the South and uh, uh, with less impact because in many areas of the South, uh, Dick Gregory was unheard of, mm-hmm. was unknown. 
because you take the Delta area. These people, the uh, average Negro take-home pay is $300 a year. Uh, he's not reading the type of books that uh, I've been getting the write-ups in for the last two years. Uh, the television, he's he, not 90% of them do not have them. So, but when I flew in the, the plane load of surplus food into the Delta area, uh, this is what made Dick Gregory in this area. Uh, the police knew this. This is why I never got arrested in Greenwood, Mississippi, because of uh, a lot of the Negroes thought I was a preacher. The, uh, many never knew I was an entertainer. The cops the all knew, though. Oh, yes, the cops knew. Yeah. And when I decided to go into Greenwood, Mississippi, I never realized the impact it would have on the American press. Uh, I never knew of the uh, the amount of FBI agents that would be coming down because I called uh, a fellow by the name of Aaron Henry in Clarksdale, Mississippi. When I had airlifted the food in, I didn't have too much time because I had to go right back to the Playboy Club in Chicago. But I told Aaron Henry the first time I had a couple of days off, uh, I would I would be back. And I had a Monday and a Tuesday off. I was going down to speak. Monday night in Greenwood, uh, Tuesday in Clarksdale. Professor Lamont Yankee. And it was really Hugh Hefner's uh, Playboy Clubs series that began to give him a kind of a visibility beyond just the confines of the black neighborhood clubs. But he began to do something even more significant, I think, by the early 60s. I mean, his work was not just to get a, a simple laugh for the moment, but he educated us, he taught us, he compelled us to be compassionate and sensitive to one another and to ourselves. And I think this is uh, among his many gifts and, and certainly uh, a part of his great contribution to our life of culture. Not just black culture, but American culture and even perhaps world culture. And now back to Dick Gregory, interviewed in studio by Ralph Gleason on May 25th, 1963. Uh, I never knew of the, uh, the amount of FBI agents that would be coming down because I called uh, a fellow by the name of Aaron Henry in Clarksdale, Mississippi. When I had airlifted the food in... I didn't have too much time because I had to go right back to the Playboy Club in Chicago. But I told Aaron Henry the first time I had a couple of days off, uh, I would I would be mm -hmm. back. And I had a Monday and a Tuesday off. I was going down to speak Monday night in Greenwood, uh, Tuesday in Clarksdale. And only after I got in this area and really got to see firsthand what was going on. Because when I, I brought the food in, I, I really didn't get to see. We unloaded it. I got mm -hmm. in a car and I went right back to Memphis and jetted it out. Oh, not until I got there to speak that night and watched and listened and uh, was briefed on a couple of things. For instance, in Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, where the population is 22,000 white, 24,000 Negro. There's one hospital in the whole town with 168 beds and 138 beds are for white. Well, the Negro can't even afford to get sick there. There, with a population of 24,000 Negroes, there's not one Negro doctor. So when these people decide to march down to this court building and sign their names and identify themselves, they're also saying that I'm giving up all my medical care because these doctors will not see them anymore. Not mainly because the doctors might not want to, but because of the pressure that would be put on. So when a person says, I'll do this for freedom, and this, this opens your eyes. Again, Lamont Yankee. Well, Dick Ray wasn't just a man of words or just humor. He was a man of action. And what stands out to my mind again and again among all the wonderful things he's done with his life and for us is that he had immense courage and a man of strong conviction. And uh, he was not adverse to traveling south. 
is not adverse to being at the forefront, not at the tail end or speaking to these issues from afar, but dealing with them firsthand. How many of them vote in the 24,000? We never could find out because you go in and you register to vote. Mm. And uh, it's about a month before they let you know how many have actually passed the test. Uh, From looking at the test, uh, if they decided no one would pass the test, no one would pass the test. Mm. Because out of the five pages, there's only actually two questions. One is to fill in blank spot. They put the article fill in blank, such and such article, the Mississippi Constitution. Write it in. Okay, now, if you memorize this, the second question is the one that throws you. They say, now, uh, in the space below, explain what your interpretation of this means. So if you have the exact interpretation of it, when the clerk grades the paper, this is not right. So this is the problem that they have. So it mainly ended up being... Uh, a demonstration of, for the first time in 100 years, being able to walk down to the court building uh-huh. and in a group, in a large group. I know I made the uh, uh, the comment the day the police was real worried. We had about 50 persons down to register, and they were, you know, like everybody was upset. They followed us, didn't want us to walk in large lines. So I asked the police commissioner, I said, wouldn't it be wild if you found out all they was really trying to do is pay their water tax? <laughs> <laughs> When you said things like that to people like him, what was their reaction? Oh, well, this Hammond, this this is probably one of the most beautiful individuals I ever met in my mm-hmm. life. He, uh, on the, the outside, he's for the people there, but on the inside, he has enough sense to know what's going on. And uh, anyone that would call the Greenwood jail for me, uh, which I wasn't there, a lot of people felt I was arrested there, would call the Greenwood jail. He was in a cop-out mm. to bring me the message. And this boiled down to the second day in town was to see who could outwit who. And this is what it would boil down to then. How did that work? Well, one day they would win, the next day we would win. Actually, what happened, they stopped our lines. Uh, uh, the police chief, if you can imagine a guy being so stupid, he had to read from a piece of paper. He would hold it up. He said, uh, we will permit you to go to the court building to register in small groups. We are not going to permit large crowds to go to the Cobham Register. So I am asking you to break up this large group uh, to go to Cobham Register or turn your lines back. So the first day we decided to so turn back. And we caught them by surprise because we they, they, they stopped us about two blocks from our headquarters and we all turned back, jumped in cars and drove everyone over to the court building. Yeah. Now, this was the first picture that was released where the cop yeah. had my arm. Yeah. So coming back that afternoon, we decided we'd walk. So we walk out of the court building, we made a left turn, and this is when it happened. So we put them in cars and carried them back over that afternoon. Uh, and leaving, uh, the Negro district is located. You come out of the court building, you make a left. So they had all the police set up this way. So it was just a simple matter, walking in the front of the line and say, look, uh, we'll wait till everyone comes out and we'll go right. <laughs> and this caught them completely by surprise. And by the time they had gathered up the string of police that sat down for about 20 blocks and called them all back there, we had marched about nine blocks. And nothing had happened. And the press was there, so they to, to come up and stop us then, after we had walked so long with no problems, it was just been unheard of. So eventually they did stop us. And uh, they put two of the SNCC leaders in jail, put them in the cars and hauled them off. So everyone was wondering, what do we do now? So I said, we'll stand on the corner until they bring them back or put us all in jail. So rather than do this, 
they grabbed me. They put me in a police car. And uh, they grabbed another girl and they put her in a police car. But instead of taking us to jail, they carried us to the SNCC headquarters. So when the cops stopped the car, I gave them $2. I said, thank you, cabbie. We jumped in the car. We went right back to that corner. And I told the police commissioner, I said, look, baby. I said, if you say I'm under arrest, put me in jail. I said, but if you take me anywhere other than jail, that's kidnapping. You know. And uh, it's just a running thing. And then after I found out the next day, they arrested everyone but me. And uh, so uh, I said, uh, say, Hammond, look, uh, you have my writer, and uh, I want to find out the bail. What's the bond going to be? And he said, well, I, don't, I won't know. I said, I'll tell you what, if you find out real quick for me what's the bail going to be for all of us, I will walk from here to the police department, a station, and I'll ask you in front of all your friends, I'll call you Mr., something I haven't called you since I've been here. And he loved this. He said, really? And this is when the papers read, well, I was left standing alone and walked by myself to yeah. the police station. So by the time I got to the police station, he had he was holding a press conference so, yeah. so they could hear this. So I walked up. I put my finger in his face. I said, Mr. Hammond, you told a damn lie on me yesterday. Professor Lamont Yankee. Greg. Well, we'll go back to that in just a moment, but I want to remind people that you're listening to an interview with Dick Gregory and some analysis. Dick Gregory was one of the first black comedians to successfully joke to, about race to both black and white audiences. And he was he's talking now about uh, re- registration efforts in the Deep South in the early 1960s. You're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. This is Sunday Forum, and we're coming to you to ask for... F- for funds to keep shows like this on the air and to keep this radio station going strong. You can do that by calling 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. I want to thank Alexandra for for a $31.50 contribution from Palm Harbor. Thanks so much. And uh, they say... Sunday Forum is a must-listen for our household each week. My son really enjoys the theme song at the start of the show. <laughs> Shout out to uh, the theme song. That's great. Play it, please play it this morning as it was cut short. Walter and the supporting crew bring salient issues to the forefront and provide a space for voices we don't get to hear. Thank you for your dedication. Yeah, maybe we'll do that at the top of the next hour. I'll play a little bit more of that great theme song. Yeah. So we we need more donations like that, WMNF.org or 813-239-9663. Mabili? Yeah, you got to love Dick Gregory. I just love listening to his recalling what was happening in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Clarksdale was a a major flashpoint in Mississippi during the Civil Rights Movement. And uh, a lot of uh, names and entertaining entertainment came out of little old Clarksdale. So it, it made sense that Dick Gregory would go back and uh, make a uh, a lot of noise, a lot, get into a lot of good trouble, <laughs> which is, was very much needed at that time. You know, also on this thumb drive, there's a, a lot of discussion about, uh, there's a look back at the Mississippi Freedom Summer of 1964, and uh, actually we're coming up on the 60th mm-hmm. anniversary next year. But this uh, thumb drive has the 50th anniversary on it. I'm certain you will find it enlightening. Uh, we're also in, in the month of June. This is Black Music Month. And, uh, of course, music played a pivotal role in not only the civil rights movement, but in the freedom movement generally, uh, the anti-slavery, you know, the abolition movement. You know, there was a lot of need for music as a way of, of uh, transmitting information among those who were resisting 
ending slavery. So, you know, it's good that we will continue to study the music of the movement. And on this thumb drive, you'll see uh, tributes to the legendary singer Odetta for her work in American roots and African-American music, uh, blues legacies and black feminism. There's so much on this thumb drive. You'll never tire of it. I mean, and it's going to be great for posterity. You will want to take advantage of this. 813-239-9663. If you want to show your support for Sunday morning public affairs or even for Community Speaks, Mm -hmm. give us a call at that number, 813-239-9663. Or you can also write... Uh, go online, WMNF.org, and hit the tip jar for either show. And the USB that Mobili is talking about is a Pacifica Radio Archives, mm-hmm. Black History USB that has 33 hours of content, speeches and interviews like we're hearing from Dick Gregory, all the great music that Mobili was talking about, also some specials about the Black Panther Party, Angela Davis. Yeah. Uh, paying tribute to legendary singer Odetta for her work in American roots and African-American music. Well, it's 33 hours of audio for a $100 contribution to WMNF Community Radio. And you can get that by calling 813-239-9663 or by donating on the web at WMNF.org. We also have two great new t-shirts to offer you with your donations. And they both have the new WMNF logo. We have for an $88.50 donation, we can give you the green, the Sagestone green t-shirt with the black WMNF logo. Or for a $100 donation, we can give you the sweet cream t-shirt with the full color WMNF logo. Those are both available 813-239-9663. Or you can donate on the web at WMNF.org. There's also a Frederick's Frederick Douglass reenactment performance for a pair of tickets for that on Juneteenth here at WMNF for a $60 donation. So please call now whatever level you'd like to donate to help keep Sunday Forum, Community Speaks, and the rest of WMNF going strong. The number is 813-239-9663. You can also donate at WMNF.org. Yeah, Juneteenth is just one more thing that we celebrate here at WMNF every year. Don't you just love WMNF? Show that support, show that love by giving us a call right now because, you know, we have a lot going on up here. You know, there's a, a, a many, many of opportunities for us to come together as a community and uh, celebrate as a community. This radio station has been in this community making this community uh, conscious helping to create a community consciousness that I think is is priceless. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. And, you know, I very much am dedicated to Sunday public affairs, but also Monday public affairs. Give us a call, 813-239-9663, to show your support for WMNF in general. 813-239-9663. Let's go back now and hear more of this interview with Dick Gregory and this analysis of the interview that's on this Pacifica Radio Archives USB thumb drive. And it's yours for a $100 donation when you call 813-239-9663. You can also donate at WMNF.org. We brought a black sensibility into the mix and compelled even whites to understand themselves better with regard to their confrontation or their friendship 
whatever the case may be, with black people. And it was just a running thing like this. And this is when I called my wife to come down. And I called and I was very honest with her. I said, I, I want to ask you something. And there's no love involved. It's not husband and wife, wife relationship that I'm asking you this. I said, uh, I'm up against it. And this has turned out to be a game of wits. They will not arrest me. But it would be very embarrassing if they arrested Mrs. Gregory, who's been out of the hospital two days with her third child. Would you get on a plane and fly in? No one will know but myself, you, and use your maiden name. So she flew in. I sent two guys up to Memphis to meet and Brian. And she marched every day for three days, and no one knew she was there. And I'd already told her, I said, if they arrest you, give me your maiden name. And I checked with an attorney, and I said, look, what, what kind of rap can they grab us on by her not giving her? And he said, well, this is legal. She can give her maiden name. And, uh, but at this point, they had laid off. But this would have been a shocker. You know, but this is mm -hmm. what it this is what it boiled down to. Mm -hmm. uh, we found out that uh, they was finding out a lot of our moves from the the Negro maids, and uh, you have to understand these these Negroes in this area love these white people that they work for, and the white people actually love them. See, the difference in the North and the South is in the South they respect a Negro as an individualist. They love him as an individualist. This one, uh, the sheriff better not hit this one. He's in trouble. Boys up North, the Negro is respected as a group. They say, well, I won't hire one of them, but if you get your 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 FEPC pushed through, then uh, I'll hire them all. They say, well, we don't want one, but if you can get that fair housing bill through, we'll let them all come in, which isn't true. But mm -hmm. this is the difference in the attitude in the North and the South. And uh, when I found out that uh, a lot of uh, our moves was being tipped off uh, through the maids, then every night after the church meeting, I would ask us, how many uh, of you here... Uh, works for the white ladies in the daytime, and they'd raise their hand, we'd take them in the back room. I said, well, now, let me tell you. I said, uh, at about 1 o'clock tomorrow, or maybe 3, and then we'd put times on a piece of paper and say, you tell the people you're working for that this is going to happen, that this is going to happen. By the time they finished checking out the good tips against the bad ones, they eventually gave it up. So uh, then it got down to a point where everyone wanted me out of town. So we made a deal. But the police the lawyer was there, and uh, we'd held the trials. And it was so late in the evening now that, uh, and this is a Friday. Yes, yeah, a Friday, which meant if I didn't have the money in uh, by Friday, my bank's closed in Chicago. So I called my office and talked to my attorney. And I said, look, uh, I'm going to need about $50,000 down here. I said, transfer it into the bank. So they called me back, and they said, the bank president in Greenwood said he's not going to handle anything with your name on it. So I said, well, we can get him better than that. We do it with Western Union. Western Union has an account there. And uh, so we, we have him. So we call Western Union. Western Union got in touch with him. Rather than do this in Greenwood, the bank stayed open until 6 o'clock. They closed early that day so they wouldn't have to honor anything would come in through Western Union. So now the only thing we have left is property bonds. So we have 20 persons in jail. And we're going to go out and get a property bond. So we had all the property bonds, legit, but eight. So I just found eight guys in the street. I said, where you live? And they told me. So what's your phone number? I have got a phone. I said, well, this is your number. And uh, what's your address? And they signed it here. And it signed it. So we had eight bad problems. So about 7 o'clock that night, I told the attorney, I said, uh, uh, call Commissioner Hammond and tell him that Dick Gregory's ready to leave town and the Negroes will be glad when he get out of town. But he claimed he's not going to leave town until he gets his writer out of jail. And I said, can you get him out of here tonight? So uh, Hammond says, wait, I'll call you back. So the judge called. Now, the judge is at home. And he says, you sure he'll leave if we give him that right? And he said, yep. He said, well, meet me at the court building. 
Now it's about 8.30 at the court building. So I tell him, I said, now when you go in, tell him that I just can't get my writer out of jail and leave because people say I came in this area, stirred up a problem, mm -hmm. and left. So tell him to give us all of them. So he went in. The judge wouldn't hear this. So I said, we got eight bad property bonds. Get eight. So he walks in, and the judge gives him eight. And we left town. And the rest of them got out the next morning, which was Saturday. But it was just, it just turned into a game of wits. This is why I could understand King's move with the kids. After they beat you down and clobber you with everything, you reach back because there's a vicious war going on. You have to reach back and fight them any way you can. And the first let up you have, uh, they will print in the paper, the movement, the Negroes are not with this. You know, this is the way the, the, the story hits. And King was up against something else because in a, a town like Birmingham where the population is, uh, 250,000 Negroes. Well, when you stop and think that all you can get is 2,000, uh, it would seem like the Negro community was not behind it. But King could have got, oh, 20 to 30,000 to march down a day. But all he could get was 2,000 nonviolent ones. This is why he resorted to using the kits. Because of the nonviolent. I remember my first day in town, we had to stay in the church for two hours while we walked outside and pleaded with the Negroes out there not to uh, uh, throw any bricks and not to do any shooting or anything. And we had to go and just get them in small groups and say, would you promise me that you won't? And it almost gets to a point where you can't look at it because when mm -hmm. these people stand around and see them blast with these holes, you know, uh, this is a problem. Yeah. When you came back up north uh, after the first trip, what kind, of, uh, what kind of reaction did you get from people then? It was, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, the borderline guy, white and colored, that never understood what I was doing. Uh, the white that thought that uh, I shouldn't be talking about this on stage. And uh, the Negro. Now, this is not the fan. This is the guy that hears it out, read the comments in the paper. The Negro that felt, well, you're making fun of the race, mainly because these things had never been discussed openly. I said, all right, we've been accused for 100 years of carrying a switchblade. All right, now let's either admit that we got a switchblade or accuse them for owning all the missiles. Mm. You know, it's just as simple, you know. Mm. But just to mention the word switchblade, you know, this was taboo. These were the ones. But you'd run into this uh, before, hadn't you? I mean, didn't, didn't you run into any of this even before you went down? Oh, I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying, yeah. I'm, saying I, I'm, I'm trying to explain. This is the guy I had before. Yeah, yeah. This was the guy that completely switched. Mm. This was the guy when I walked in, when I flew into Washington, D.C., now, I travel with about six to 700 pounds of excess baggage. So I'm known as a good thing coming to uh -huh. the airport. Uh, they think I'm a good thing because the average guy gets a quarter, half a dollar. Mm -hmm. Well, I got six to 700 pounds of luggage. He's got to realize how much luggage he's handling. So when I went on in, I get a guy and I lay $10 on him. So I'm known all over mm -hmm. America in the airports, you know. They run for me. I got off the airplane and walked down to Chicago, and I look at one guy, look and see if anybody else see me. And he slips away and runs. Hello, Mr. Gregory. Now, the attitude. I fly into Washington, D.C. I have one red cap waiting on me. I have another one walk up and shake my hand. Thanks a million. So I figure he gives me a note in my hand. I'm going to walk so far and throw it away. And I look, it's a $20 bill. It's the attitude. It'll change. The white cab drivers, the guys... The white guys, the bellhops in the hotel, the guys that uh, is there for the dollar. Yeah. I can't pay them anymore. This is the change. Yeah. I can't pay them. 
I just had a guy today that I wanted some shirts. Very hard in San Francisco to get shirts laundry on Saturday. So he goes into place and uh, he talks these people into doing it, you know. So I'm fixing to give him five dollars. No, 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 Mr. Green. This is the attitude that have changed. It's just unbelievable. Was it more pronounced? And no, let me tell you. Let me tell you the wild part that I still can't understand. I go to Greenwood, Mississippi, which Birmingham was heaven compared to Greenwood, Mississippi. Because you never knew. You lived from second to second in Mississippi. You you lived from step to step. You never knew when this one guy was going to get you from the rooftop. Whereas in Birmingham, he didn't have this feeling. Now, I go to Greenwood, Mississippi, and uh, the first time in the history of the South, a Negro was untouchable. And this made the whites look at me like I was God. Who is this guy that they will not arrest? Mm. Uh, when I would walk into the court building, the clerks, the, the secretaries would slip out. Or if I stood outside, they would come and look at the window, look through the window. Not with hate, but like, there, there it is, right mm. there, you know. Uh, so mentally, it was a lot accomplished in Mississippi, just going and by them making a mistake not to arrest me. Now, there was mixed emotions up north. Now I go to Birmingham, which my life was in very good shape because I was arrested an hour after I got there. I had it made in Birmingham. I could sleep. I could not sleep in Greenwood. When we went to Clarksdale and they pitched a bomb in the church. And as I sit there, knowing this is it, but the bomb didn't go off. And then to see the police chief of Clarksdale walk in and tell me, he says... You know, Bobby Kennedy called me. I'm responsible for your life personally, and I promised him that you wouldn't get killed while you're here. And I said, well, I'm not worried about you because any police chief that would hire three Negroes and take them out of jail and let them beat up three white boys like happened here last week, three white fellas from the University of Iowa had decided to drive some food in, and this is what happened. He said, I'll take you to court and sue you for this. I said, well, your attitude's changed because 10 years ago you'd say lynched. Now you're going to take me to court. So we had to get out of town that night. We found out it was a roadblock set up on the highway for us. So it meant we had to stay in a Negro's home. We didn't know who to trust. We got in the trunk of a car and told the guy to drive around and look. And we would stay, and he told us where we'd stay. James would sleep while I laid on the floor and watched this guy to make sure he wouldn't go to the phone and call. And I would sleep while James laid on the floor to watch this guy to make sure he wouldn't call. Because after we found out that there were Negroes there that was tipping tipping off solely because they're afraid, mm. solely because they, they, they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and they assume that this guy knows they're involved. Now, when I go to Birmingham and I'm in jail, three hours after I get there, my life's in pretty good shape. I can sleep. In Greenwood, Mississippi, I couldn't sleep for six, the whole six days I was there. Because you just, you, just, you just could not let it. You know what it feels like all at once? Being in a town where if a guy walked up to me, no racial overtones involved. He says, he's got some bread, let's rob him. I couldn't even call the police. You know what this feels like one day when you're aware? And as I looked at my wife and said, if, if a group of men wanted to rape her, I couldn't call the police. This is the situation. You're I describing an occupied country yeah. in wartime mm -hmm. underground. 
This is this is what it was. So now going into Birmingham and going into jail there and getting beat up and then come back and there's no one have asked me since Birmingham uh have hinted on interviews that a lot of people say this might have been for publicity. Now the Birmingham was the easiest one, but the Birmingham was the one that took all the, the doubt out. And this was the one that I decided I would stay out of because of the 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 press and because of so many people felt it was for, for publicity. And well, we were listening to Dick Gregory describing his activism and his comedy in the early 1960s, talking on Pacifica Radio about trying to register people in Mississippi and Alabama. And you are listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. We're listening to Sunday Forum right now, and we're asking for you to support shows like this. That Dick Gregory speech and interview, that is, is on a USB thumb drive brought to you by Pacifica Radio Archives. It has 33 hours of audio content of black history speeches and music and um, and interviews and activism and documentaries. And if you would like to get a copy of this USB thumb drive from Pacifica Radio, it's a $100 contribution to community radio by calling 813-239-9663 or donating on the WMNF.org website. Before we get too much further, I want to tell you about an incident that's happening in Pinellas County that you should be aware of. The deputies are working what they're calling an armed person call in the area of Park Boulevard in 134th Street North in Pinellas County. And they um, their, their services for a church have been suspended. The United Methodist Church there at 30, 13400 Park Boulevard have been suspended because of the large law enforcement presence. And that, but there is an armed person not involved in the church there, but near the area of Park Boulevard and 134th Street North. So they're asking people, the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office is asking people to avoid that area. So I wanted to let you know about that. And I'd also like to ask for your support for community radio that brings you local news, that brings you important information, history, speeches, and interviews, and all sorts of great music. Is this worth supporting? Give us a call right now, 813-239-9663. I want to thank uh, uh, Rebecca Abel from North Carolina for that lovely donation. Thank you, Becky, for that contribution. Now it's your turn. We need to raise $1,500 in the next hour and 15 minutes or so. We can do that with your help if you call 813-239-9663. Yes, and uh, Sean, I want to thank you for all of the news you bring every day, and it helps to inform public affairs programs like Sunday Forum. And uh, so we certainly appreciate that. You know, this thumb drive gives us a history that there's a there's a militant a militancy against learning this history. So be uh, ahead of the game by getting this USB drive and knowing this history. There's a lot of people who, you know, you can imagine given what Dick, Dick Gregory is is describing, what he's gone through is, it was really kind of striking to hear him say if someone raped his wife, he couldn't call the police because, you know, you're living in a part of the country in, in a place in a place and time in which you just didn't have that basic human rights, those basic human services that were expected, that all Americans expect to have. And if you were black, you just couldn't expect it. And 
So it, you you wonder why black people feel reticent today when they're hearing white supremacists like, you know, even celebrities talk about we don't want woke shoved down our throat. You know, why don't you want to be awakened to the history that you can uh, repeat or at least rhyme with? Because if you don't, if you're ignorant to history, then you can certainly repeat it. And it looks like there's a as a there's a tendency out there among the those who are on the right because uh, you know, we all know what conservatism means. We don't want change, and this is the kind of history that it sounds like these people today want to repeat. So this is why this USB drive and programs like this are important. It is important. It is therapeutic for me to come up here and talk about what is on my spirit because these things bother me. You know, the fact that we could repeat this kind of history bothers me as a black man in America in a country that I thought had progressed when clearly there are people who are militantly trying to stay backwards. They keep things just the way they were. And so these words like being anti-woke is cold terminology for that. And it's terrible to hear it every day. So it's, it's the reason why I'm still in the fight. It's the reason why it is important for me to be able to come up here and take advantage of this free speech radio <laughs> and put on these shows and give people the voice that is very much needed. And then there are people who have historic also been oppressed that, you know, such as LGBT community. It is important for us to show solidarity so that we can have this, uh, this spirit of strength to fight back against the forces that have been oppressing all of us. So, you know, history is not just history. It is the present. It is important to understand history so that we can understand the present. And it's especially important when that history is being suppressed, when exactly. there are laws in a state that say to teachers, you can, can teach this, but you cannot teach this. Right. You can't teach things that make people uncomfortable right. because, of the, because of their um, guilt, their collective guilt <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, but I have a feeling that if, if um, you know, the lawmakers of Florida listen to this Dick Gregory uh, interview, yeah. they might think, well, this is something that would make a, a white person perhaps that feel uncomfortable. And so this should not be taught right. in the schools, the public schools of this state. Right. And that's, you know, I have to say, um, as someone who enjoys le learning about history and reading about history, even the, the difficult parts, especially the difficult parts, because how else do you learn? Right. I, that makes me nervous when, when the government is telling me that I can't learn something, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it makes me even more curious. And so one thing you could do is you could get this USB thumb drive of Pacifica's radio archives, history of black America. You can give this to a, a student. Right. They might not be getting this in their American history classes anymore in high school, but you could give them this thumb drive and educate them in a way that they can't be educated at school in the state of Florida anymore. I know that's scary. I know that's a, a freaky thing to think about. I, I couldn't even imagine myself saying that a year or two ago, right. but that's what's happening right now. And you that's can get this thumb drive, 813-239-9663. You can also donate at WMNF.org. We're asking for a $100 donation for this USB drive right now, 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. 
right? The Ku Klux Klan, race and prejudice in America's one-hour part speech in this uh, on in this USB thumb drive. This is important information that you must understand and know has happened. You know, this uh, this moment of freedom has been but a fleeting moment. You know, between the civil between slavery and now, that's a very short time. You know, and then even chipping off just the civil the modern civil rights movement until now is a very short fleeting moment in time and yet there are those in this country that is even tired of that progress and would like to roll the clock back and that's what we're seeing playing out right before our very eyes because of ignorance because of ignorance and so fight against ignorance fight against apathy call up here support these public affairs program take advantage of this audio USB drive so that we could fight against the ignorance and the apathy that is happening around us every single day. 813-239-9663 is the number to call to show your support for Sunday Forum and uh, public affairs in general. 813-239-9663 or go online, WMNF.org and show your support there. Well, I really enjoyed that Dick Gregory interview. There's much more of it on the USB, but I think right now what I'd like to do is turn to hear some Maya Angelou. And we can hear that right now. This is also on that USB thumb drive from Pacifica Radio Archives that's available to you for a $100 donation to WMNF. And just let your phone bank, phone screener, phone bank volunteer, that is, know that you'd like the Black History USB thumb drive for your $100 contribution. And you'll get content like we're hearing here from Maya Angelou. So this is Maya Angelou. If you like what you're hearing, 813-239-9663 or WMNF.org. Maya Angelou passed quietly in her home before 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Her family is extremely grateful that her ascension was not belabored by a loss of vacuity or comprehension. She lived a life as a teacher, activist, artist, and human being. She was a warrior for equality, tolerance, and peace. The family is extremely appreciative of the time we had with her, and we know that she is looking down upon us with love. The Pacifica Radio Archives will pay tribute to this great voice and human being by presenting several recordings that we have in our archives. There is nothing like hearing an artist in his or her own voice, but listening to Maya Angelou is something special. The majority of this program will be taken from a 1975 program called An Evening with Maya Angelou, produced by Lynn Harris for Pacifica Radio. Maya Angelou will read from her first autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, published in 1969. She will sing some songs, read some poetry, and reveal many landmark events in her life that helped her to grow and learn and discover her destiny. We will also present a selection from our 1982 program, Heroes and Sheroes, a collection of Maya Angelou material from 1976 to 1982. We will feature her performance of Phenomenal Woman ahead of the Broadway debut of her play, And Still I Rise. Here is Maya Angelou and Lynn Harris from the Pacifica Radio Archives program, An Evening with Maya Angelou, originally broadcast on Pacifica Radio WBAI in New York on Saturday evening, December 27th, 1975. I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow. I'm lost in this wide world alone. 
have I for tomorrow? I've started to make him my home. My you are listening to the voice of Maya Angelou singing a spiritual her grandmother used to sing in the church choir back in Stamps, Arkansas. Ms. Angelou has published two volumes of autobiography entitled I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings and Gather Together in My Name as well as two volumes of poetry Just Give Me a Cool Drink of Water For I Die and Oh Pray My Wings Are Gonna Fit Me Well We now present Maya Angelou reading and singing from each of her works and speaking with Lynn Harris about her art and her life Sometimes I don't know where to roam But I heard of a city called heaven And I started to make it my Mama had married three times. Mama, for me, was my grandmother. She had married Mr. Johnson, my grandfather, who left her around the turn of the century with two small sons to raise. Second, Mr. Henderson, of whom I know nothing at all. Mama never answered questions directly put to her on any subject except religion. Then finally, Mr. Murphy... I saw him a fleeting once. He came through stamps on a Saturday night, and Grandmother gave me the chore of making his pallet on the floor. He was a stocky, dark man who wore a snap-brim hat like George Raft. The next morning, he hung around the store until we returned from church. That marked the first Sunday I knew Uncle Willie to miss services. Bailey said he stayed home to keep Mr. Murphy from stealing us blind. Mr. Murphy left in the middle of the afternoon after one of Mama's extensive Sunday dinners. His hat pushed back off his forehead. He walked down the road whistling. I watched his thick back until he turned the bend by the big white church. People spoke of Mama as a good-looking woman, and some who remembered her youth said she used to be right pretty. I saw only her power and strength. She was taller than any woman in my personal world, and her hands were so large they could span my head from ear to ear. Her voice was soft only because she chose to keep it so. In church, when she was called upon to sing, she seemed to pull out plugs from behind her jaws, and the huge, almost rough sound would pour over the listeners and throb in the air. Each Sunday, after she had taken her seat, the minister would announce, We will now be led in a hymn by Sister Henderson. And each Sunday, she looked up with amazement at the preacher and asked silently, Me? After a second of assuring herself that she was indeed being called upon, she laid down her handbag and slowly folded her handkerchief. This was placed neatly on top of the purse, Then she leaned on the bench in front of her and pushed herself to a standing position. And then she opened her mouth. And the song jumped out 
as if it had only been waiting for the right time to make an appearance. I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow. I'm lost in this wide world alone. No hope have I for tomorrow. I've started to make heaven my home. My mother, she's found her sweet glory My father, still living in sin And my brothers and sisters won't own me Because I am trying to get in Sometime I'm tossed and I'm driven, Lord. Sometimes I don't know where to roam. But I heard of a city called Heaven. And I started to make it my home. Week after week and year after year, the performance never changed, and yet I don't remember anyone's ever remarking on her sincerity or her readiness to sing. Well, that is Maya Angelou speaking in 1975 and singing in 1975. On, and you're listening right now to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. You might also be listening in St. Petersburg or Largo, Clearwater, Bradenton, Sarasota, Lakeland, Brooksville. Wherever you are, we're glad that you're here. And we hope that you support Community Radio, 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa.